Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. Credit to Justin Campbell or at, uh, at jcamp1521 on Twitter. Uh, he's going to do my intro. If you want to get with him, he can do intros. I'm sure he's well. He's open to doing any commissions or the like, his clips, basically anything you need for podcast needs. He already works for kind of does work like this with a few other big dogs in the in the podcasting world. So go hit him up if you have any uh, stuff like you need for that. Um, Today, my guest is Sal the Agorist. Uh, we'll be continuing our New Libertarian Manifesto live reading series. Uh, just so you guys know, uh, I remind you guys every time. If you're watching this on the 24th, it's a live stream. If not, you'll be watching it roughly a week or so later whenever I do drop it publicly. If you want to access to in the meantime, you need to go on Patreon.com. Just know it Jose 2020. The lowest level is 2 bucks, and I'll get you access to it. There's uh, differing levels of perks going all the way up to $20. So $20 is the sponsor level, and at that level, I have... Uh, C.D. McRae of the Whiskey and Tea Podcast. I have Jeremy. Uh, I did an episode with him a little bit ago. Uh, you can follow. You can check out his stuff at etsycom shop raising liberty or follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. Also, Mikel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. Uh, he's uh, his whole thing is you know helping people move to liberty, specifically usually like out of country. So if you're someone who's looking for that kind of thing, go hit him up. He has his uh, podcast. He also has his uh, website. You can go check him out. Uh, like I said, today we're doing the eh, New Libertarian Manifesto live reading. We're continuing. We're towards the end. We're doing the Robert LaFerris critique now. We moved on past Rothbard. Uh, we did the Rothbard. We did Conkin's response to Rothbard. And now we're on to LaFerre. So, uh, yeah, that should be interesting. Uh, just want to let you guys know, I haven't forgotten about my Erica's Handbook series. I have another one in the works right now. I'm already, uh, you know, it should be, I think in a couple weeks I'll be doing it. Uh, I like to give myself enough time to prep for each one, get good guests, everything. So I'll be doing the Josiah Warren one next. Uh, also, make sure you go follow Tower Gang on Odyssey. Uh, we're gearing up for a Jonesing for June event. It's going to be like a conspiracy month. We have, uh, I think we kind of loosely have Crypt Daddy set up again. Monica Prez based on some sort of four horsemen thing. Uh, it's all very loose at the moment. we got to start hammering out dates for these people. As always, hit up toplobster.com. Uh, you supposed to get a check for 10% off. And with that, let's bring in Sal. What's up, man? Yo, what's up? Hey, uh, JQ just said, yo, yo, thanks for your memes on Twitter. They make me warm and fluffy inside all giggles. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what's up, man? How you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, you want to, since we're doing, this is a Robert LaFayre one. Uh, I don't I think a lot of people, modern people, don't uh, know a whole lot about Robert LaFayre. I don't even know a whole lot about Robert LaFayre, to be honest, and this is definitely a thing that I, you know, I'm not that I'm like a voracious liberty reader, but I read a decent amount and I've been embroiled in the sphere for a while. And I still don't know a whole lot about them. So if you want to, if you'd be able to, if you're capable, if you could just give like a little primer of some sort to the audience so they know who the hell this guy is before we go into it. And yeah, it I mean, matters, so he's critiquing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not like a Bob LaFave expert, but um, yeah. He was like, <clears throat> so like at the same time that Rothbard had this like East Coast underground, uh, like he was having meetups at his house late at night with like Roger Garrison and Walter Block and Ralph Rako and Leonard Ligio and all these brilliant minds <clears throat> would be at like Rothbard's discussing philosophy until like four o'clock in the morning. Well, unbeknownst to everyone, the exact same thing was happening on the West Coast with Bob LaFave. He was having people doing this, having the same sort of discussion groups with guys like Sam Konkin and, and Victor Komen and all those guys. But uh, Lefebvre was um, actually the basis 
for Bernardo de la Paz. If you guys have read Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, it was based off Bob Lafave. And uh, he was one of Konkin's teachers who like really taught Konkin the whole philosophy. He was a pacifist, which means like he just refused violence whatsoever. He didn't believe in self-defense, nothing. Um, <clears throat> he differed from Rothbard and Konkin in that way. But um, he also wrote a great book, if you guys get a chance. It's called like The Fundamentals of Liberty or The Fundamentals of Libertarianism or something like that. I remember reading it like years ago. It's definitely, definitely worth reading. He also, if you want to learn more about Bob Lefebvre, check out um, the Mises Institute has a whole lecture series on SoundCloud of like just like 30 lectures from Bob Lefebvre's class. It's like pure gold that nobody even knows about. So if you want to learn more about anarchism and liberty and stuff like that and find out more about the West Coast libertarians, be sure to check that out. Awesome. Uh, you ready? You ready to go ahead and get into this? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. I, uh, as always, stop me at any point uh, if you have anything to add to it. Uh, you know, I yeah. will. Yeah, we <laughs> should be able to not. We may be able to knock this one out one episode. We'll see. Uh, do, do, do. Return to Babylon by Robert LaFair. Uh, Samuel Robert Conkin's New Libertarian Manifesto falls short of literary acclaim and fails, at least in my judgment, of sounding a clarion call for the libertarian cause. This does not imply lack of value or meaning. The 31 pages of small print has definite merit in a number of places and here and there flashes of wisdom illumine a passage. It's a weird, wouldn't it be illuminate? Whatever. Uh, the author is to be commended for his clear grasp of economic principles and his devotion to marketplace procedures to the extent that he pursues them. This is a major achievement emerging from the so-called old left and hopefully signals a burgeoning return to, to sanity for those who in earlier days suffered from internal bleeding. But those who cure, but whose cure was the senseless leveling of everyone and everything in society, which had managed, despite the odds, to continue to stay afloat. Conkin's dedication to what he calls agoric tactics conveys the substance of his position. In, in, it means, in short, that individual libertarians are capable of acting now within a free market context if, if they don't permit fear of government to inhibit them altogether. This position deserves to be applauded until the sound echoes, and I heartily lend my support to it. A word of caution should be, should be inserted. The Konkin Manifesto is not the proper place for such adversity advisory words and my addition does constitute a criticism of that document but it is high time something were said and this appears to be an appropriate place to say it if agorist enterprises are to make the impact they deserve to make libertarian enterprisers are going to have to do a better job than their competitors already in the field thus far they are not doing it all right can i just yeah. jump in right there <clears throat> so like clearly like cryptocurrency is doing a better job than federal reserve notes now back then in the 80s when lafave is writing this it probably was true um although in, in that even even in that sense it probably wasn't to be honest with you because in eastern europe we had there's like deep black markets who were undermining uh soviet communism and now we have bitcoin it's done a much better job than fiat currency has um we have the 3D printers, which have done a much better job than the NRA has, um, and so on and so forth. So I think a lot of that has, has changed. This probably is not as um, accurate today as it was when Lafayette was writing. Yeah, it's a fair point. Although I, I would think if you have a sound idea of economics, you would understand the, the faulty issue here. Because, uh, I mean, 
the more people that engage in the gray and black markets, the more advantageous it's going to make the gray and black and gray markets. So if you advocate for people to do so and, and increases people doing so, it's the same idea of in any other economy. If if there be if the pillow market becomes more vibrant, it's going to reduce the cost and increase the quality of them altogether. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, yeah. Honestly, I think like um, you know, I think that agorism really sort of came like sort of matured when we when like we sort of married crypto anarchism in the late two thousands, early two thousand tens. That's when agorism really came into play because that's when we got things like the Silk Road, which used cryptography, Bitcoin, which used cryptography, three uh, D printing, which uses uh, code. So it's like once we married crypto anarchism to agorism later on like 20, 30 years after Lefebvre's writing, it really sort of, it became a much more coherent philosophy. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, whatever. Yeah. Price advantage and a chance to avoid the state by tax evasion is no substitute for integrity. Many who appear as agoric enterprises have cheated or otherwise betrayed their customers. Yeah, that's a, it's a bad ad hom yeah. right there. Yeah. Come on, yeah, Lefebvre. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's kind of defeats the point of what an agoric enterpriser is. But right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right. It's a contradiction, actually. You're right. Yeah. Uh, although, to be fair, I guess the point would be to steal man's point would be like if you, although he kind of clunkily worded it, and it's not necessarily it. I mean, if you make the point that if you're increasing people in the black and gray market, that you're going to also be pushing the unsavory people to continue to do so. But then I would then also say, but then the good individuals are going to drown out the bad actors and it's kind of like whenever you hear about someone who talks about, uh, I don't know, I was shooting the shit with somebody the other day. And they were talking about how, like, uh, all, all, like they were like uh, all the fentanyl in the market. And I, I legit was kind of being like autistic about it and was breaking down, like, oh, this is why they do it. They break, they, they'll mix it in it because it reduces the price. But it's also, but in, like, the point I got to is like, it's actually just bad business practice. So, like, I mean, not, I'm not saying that we should have some kill your customers. customers. Yeah. Like, why would you kill your customers? <laughs> like, I, I get it in like a short term like idea of how it's a, a smart economic move because it allows you to cut your product and you know use baking it. soda yeah use like flour or something yeah <laughs> well i mean the, the idea is you get you get, you feel more out of it whereas if you if you use baking soda you'd be like you do it you'd be like this is shit like i'm not feeling much whereas if you put some fentanyl and you're like whoa what is this is good shit like and <laughs> i wouldn't know any of this yeah. Jose. i don't know how you know this but i, I don't know this, this. <laughs> I, i've never done fentanyl but uh <laughs> i'm just speaking uh like Wait, i know right. how how they cut product and how they flip it economically so it makes sense that uh right but from a short-term perspective yeah you may it is economically makes sense but if you were to apply like a uh, agoric type of uh, i don't know biz and, and entrepreneur entrepreneurs into that market they would start produce they would you know they would more likely than not be better businessman thinking oh, right. more in the long term have better time preference and they're going to be like yeah i can make some make some quick bucks here and there by cutting with fentanyl which isn't like like you said with integrity but it's like ah, that just doesn't make sense business wise long term i'm not gonna be able to keep a sustained you know business here essentially but it's also fraudulent and, and yeah. agorist agorist by definition we we it's almost like religious for us we can't engage in fraud whatsoever yeah like it, at that point it's no longer agorism it, it's it's red market um you, you might as well you might as well go run for office if that's the case that's, yeah. that's what they do that, that they're, they're they're the fraudsters not us yeah. Indeed, I have personally found it necessary to be especially careful when dealing with a person calling himself libertarian. All right, well, that's different than ag agorism, but okay. I guess, sort of. Not really. I don't know. I don't really know what to say about that one. I guess maybe that could have been a, a thing of the times, although there are some shitty libertarians nowadays, too. So I don't know. 
All too often, the self-styled libertarian has demonstrated a lack of concern for even fundamental honesty. Eh, I mean, I, don't, I, it's, I mean, the whole paragraph is just ad hom after yeah, ad hom. Well, it's weird. Like, I, I mean, maybe if I knew more about Robert LaFair, I could understand where he's coming from because it's a weird attack on libertarianism in general. And but I don't know what from what angle he's coming from. Like, I mean, I could kind of see this to, from some people, depending on what they're talking about. Uh, I, but you know, it's just weird critique. Many have already experienced this lack among conventional marketeers, and more of the same is not helpful. While I would not personally subscribe to the practice, many would-be customers of Agaric Enterprises discover to this May that if they are cheated through black market patronage, legal action against their suppliers is out of the question. Uh, I mean, then, yeah, but the economic the action. Point. Yeah, I mean, that is the point. the point. I mean, obviously, in a free world, we would have our own, you know, quote unquote legal thing. But e even absent it, you still have the, you know, it's, I mean, to, I mean, to bring up my example before, like once people start finding out you're using fentanyl in your product, people are not going to want to buy from you anymore. But so, I mean, like more to the point, like, like, are you, where show me one court courtroom in America in which you find justice? Like, it's you don't we don't have that in state courts, so it's the whole critique lacks substance altogether. Yeah. Uh, Agric Enterprises cannot succeed without building customer confidence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. and thus we have. Yeah, persons. I mean, although the point, I don't know. This is so silly because it's like if you were, if more agorists or libertarians or whatever were entering the market, they would have better economic understanding. Which uh, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess you could say in a certain sense, maybe like extreme anarchists. Like I mean, say I'm like an egoist. We've talked about this before. Technically, I have no moral issue with lying, but in like an economic sense or even a personal sense, I find it to be disadvantageous to do so. And any libertarian worth his salt, like speaking, especially in the economic realm, would be like, hey, like this isn't being a dishonest businessman doesn't pay. Uh, it no, doesn't for very long. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like if these people are trying to enter the market, they're going to want to stay in longer. And I feel like people who are Especially if you're like explicitly an ag agorist entrepreneur, someone who's really you're probably put more thought into this, and this is something that you're you're not just some dude from the ghetto who's slinging some you know illegal stuff or something. Like it's but like also it's like <clears throat> like what about the customer confidence in the people who are forced to like uh, uh, forced to use the state's retirement plans, right? The state forces this retirement plan on your social security. Do their customers have confidence? No. How about the customers of the Federal Reserve? Do they have confidence? Of course not. How about the customers of the, uh, the department for the Department of like uh, of Child Protection Services, the Department of Transportation? The customers of the NYPD have no confidence. Like, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Like on the black market, a transaction is done because you trust that transaction. It's done voluntarily. Whereas yeah. in in, the, in the, the public sector, transactions are coerced because Precisely because you don't trust the other the other party to the exchange. Yeah, persons who are cozy to buying simply because of a warm fellow feeling philosophically lose both the feeling and the philosophy when confronted with misrepresentation, poor quality, and deception with no recourse. All right, I mean, I don't know how long he's going to go down this route, but I don't, I don't even really have anything more to say to that. Uh, <laughs> indeed, the merit of any philosophy is discovered by the character of its adherents. In this regard, it is clear that many who say they are libertarians are merely employed in obtaining protective coloration. I don't even know what the hell that's supposed so to be. So in other words, he's saying like there's a lot of crooks out there who are going to hide under the term agorism. 
which I don't, I don't, I don't care what they call themselves as long as they're engaging in black and gray markets. We're not talking about red market activity here. We're not talking about white markets. Yeah. We're talking about voluntary trade. There's nothing immoral about this whatsoever. And even then, I don't really know what, like, if you're just some generic person doing elected, like, say you're this, you know, I guess not necessarily a crook, since, like, I guess that wouldn't be the right way to, to represent it. But no, I, and I guess the drug dealing uh, example works best because you can imagine an unsavory character who has ended up in that situation. Uh, like, I, I don't really know what they would expect to gain from calling themselves a libertarian or an agorist. Uh, I mean, if we've gone to the point to where, you know, shitty people are trying to take uh, our term I, I feel like for some sort of i don't know bona fides through the, the market then I, I feel like we're doing something right at that point i don't really know what the the point of this you know it doesn't make 100 my point my point in all this is though i would still trust that drug dealer that low life off the street over the ceo at the pfizer board or the ceo of the sackler family like yeah. I'll take that like unsavory character character. Like I'm gonna drive downtown and pick up a bag of weed when we get done here. It's a bad part of town. I'm taking my Glock with me. He's got a Glock. I got a Glock. Everything's fine. There's no trouble. Yeah. You deal with the deal with the CEO of the Sackler family and see how you make out. You're gonna wind up hooked on drugs, poor, robbing houses. So, yeah. you know this whole this whole thing about like unsavory characteristics and ad hominem. It just doesn't stand up. Yeah. Uh, the foregoing, while not a criticism of the manifesto, opens the door. The ordinary mortal, considering the condition we are in, dominated and coerced by the state at every hand, has tended insensibly to equate all government legislation with repression. But the government is an octopus of many tentacles. There are any number of laws in the books of the state condemning dishonesty, misrepresentation, and violence. These are actions which should be repressed, but of course repressed by the dis discipline and determination of the individual. All right. When disobedience to government government is recommended per se and ad hoc, it is a simple matter for the individual to conclude that dishonesty, misrepresentation, and violence are acceptable forms of conduct since the state is always wrong. There are thousands who fail to make the distinction that while the state is wrong in its methods and procedures in every case, the ends ostensibly sought may very well be desirable and necessary. Uh, I mean, okay. I don't really no one's disputing that. that. Yeah. <clears throat> The manifesto is lacking at this point. Breaking the law is not a virtuous act per se, but the manifesto makes it appear so. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. I guess that's one takeaway. I mean, breaking in the, in the black and gray markets, then it uh, is a virtuous act. Yeah. Um, although I feel like it's not necessarily the fact that you're breaking the law. It's just that, I mean, I, I, it's, it's the fact that you're undermining the state. Yeah. Um, although that's I. That's what I, makes it virtuous. Yeah. I, I guess so. Yeah. I guess it's when we look at it. I, uh, yeah. Or thus, it may well occur that some simplistic minds thinking to obstruct the state will conclude that any action they take which violates some government ukase or ukase or ukase, I don't know what the fuck that word is, is commendable. Um, the state has been far more clever than many suppose, as mixed virtue and non virtue in its demands, but has used all its instruments of propaganda to cause both the dull and the simplistic to believe that everything that is morally proper is demanded by the state. I don't know. I mean, this this critique, it is a... Uh, God, I wish I could remember who said it. There was someone who was... I mean, there's been multiple people who said it, that there, when it comes to the uh, the law, I mean, the, the yes, it, the, it's illegal to murder people. But it's this... I mean, to, I guess, the straw man, uh, his point here, he would, I guess, borderline be almost saying that, like, oh, well, I guess we can just murder people since the state says it's illegal. Obviously, I know exactly. he's not saying that, but 
anything that we would find to be uh, wrong in a libertarian sense would not be something that we would, uh, I don't know, look favorably upon in an agorist sense. So I don't I mean, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, it gets, I guess it gets a little bit murky when you're talking about like, a fraud or dishonesty like it gets a little bit weird like what's okay and what's not business uh, is business wise but e either even then the, like the the i like we've gone over multiple times already like they're going to the the better businessman the the people who are more likable that are shown to be more honest are going to typically do better uh overall so no doubt yeah uh to do, do, do uh where, where the hell was i at okay thus law and morals have been inextricably intertwined to break the law has become immoral to obey it moral neither is necessarily the case objection objective of a given enactment must be examined for its intrinsic character with the state we must deal constantly with both ends and means the means of state are corrosive and vicious without exception libertarians are among those who supposedly have the necessary acumen to determine the difference between ends and means this is still just a silly critique. I don't even really like, I mean, it just keeps going on with this, but all right. Like this, this could have been summed up. This in a is what I mean though. And like, here, here's the thing though. These are the greatest minds of the time. Like yeah. Rothbard and Bob Lefebvre are, are in my opinion, two of the smartest people that existed in the country at this time. And this is how, this is the best critiques they can come up with against the Gorism. That really speaks to the strength of the philosophy. If you think about it. Yeah, I mean, although it makes me kind of doubt some of these people, but uh, although I mean, maybe they're just great in other stuff. I don't know, because yeah, this is not impressing me at all. This is my first interaction with the fair, so uh, well, second, but the first time was this before. So um, yeah, because I think this is the only thing I've ever read of the fair. This is the second time going through it. But uh, to do, thus, they should be able to practice self-discipline by overt demonstration that they are more honest than those who are only honest because the state appears to compel it. Yeah, we agree. Um, yeah, that's kind of our point. Um, indeed, this confusion arising from inappropriate means employed to achieve desirable ends may well be the most profound reason why the state cannot obtain attain its objectives. It is at this point that the manifesto achieves its greatest height. Conkin's explanation of the mandatory use of desirable means that will achieve de uh, desirable ends is superb. He champions consistency is the core of his opposition to such alleged libertarian activities as political party activism. See, this is essentially what he got in like the part that Lefebvre is complimenting him on is the part that Konkin got directly from Lefebvre. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know if you remember from the moon is a harsh mistress, the part where Bernard, uh, professor Bernardo de la Paz explains um, how like a, a, a trial would, would happen. That's exactly what Konkin did in the manifesto, and that's what um, Lefebvre is praising him for. Yeah. One of the major objections that I must vo uh, voice relates to the position taken in the manifesto concerning restoration and or restitution following the commission of crime. All right, we're going to get into minutiae here, aren't we? Yeah. While I will quickly, I guess, like, once again, it speaks to the quality of this, this work. Right. Uh, while I will quickly assert that Konkin's explanation is both lucid and brief, it does not square with his insistence upon a harmony between ends and means. If each individual human being has a right to his own life and property, then it follows that no individual has a rightful claim to life or property of any other. In his zeal to satisfy the wishes of those who say they have been victimized, Konkin sets forth an argument, sometimes brilliant, sometimes sophist, in which it appears that the individual, having rights to his own life and property, loses those rights if and when he violates the property boundary of another. 
I mean, this is the pacifist Lefebvre yeah, coming out right I mean, now. This is pure a, pacifism. I mean, it's a fair uh, perspective. I mean, I feel like once you get to down to like, once you start getting down to very building blocks of philosophy, at a certain point, certain things are just kind of like, well, I guess it's your opinion. <laughs> like, like, I can't really argue with you. I, I, I don't agree with that, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. All right. If such a conclusion is valid, then it falls that the only persons who have rights are persons who do not violate property boundaries. Um, if, if this proposition is accepted, then the concept of rights applies only to a limited number of persons and is based upon their behavior and not upon their nature as human beings. So we're not <clears> – <throat> so like in restitution theory, we're not saying that the, that the perpetrator – loses all of their rights in fact that's the whole point of restitution theory that Kong describes it's you or you lose the exact amount of rights which you've stolen so yeah. if i steal 20 bucks out of your wallet then you can you only have the right to take back from me 20 dollars plus interest and the cost that you had to pay to recover that money any one cent more that you take than that is aggression on your part and that's what Conkin says so we're not saying that 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 these um that, that criminals lose all of their rights, they lose their rights to the extent that they take rights from others. Yeah, I mean, I guess the point he would probably say then is it's just a matter of, uh, I don't, I don't know. I guess you're you're relying on humanity to determine that this happened, but then it's well, I don't, or or it's a must, must a messed up idea of property that. But I mean, I guess you would well, say, well, it, I don't know. Yeah, all right, go ahead. In a, in, a, in a private, um, in a private, in a free market, a dispute would be handled in a voluntary fashion. Yeah. Like you and I would agree to the arbiter. We would agree to like this this set of rules binding the contract, and like we would agree to be held. Like um, we would agree to like a, a, a abide by the decision of the judge or the arbiter. So it would all happen in a voluntary fashion, yeah. respecting the rights of the victim. Frankly. Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to understand his perspective completely because it's, I mean, there's something there. I just feel like I'm missing a piece. As um, opposed to, as opposed to where we have it now, where the victim has no rights, you're gonna put in handcuffs, you're going to a cage, and you're gonna show up on Monday morning in front of a judge, and whatever he says goes. So yeah. like, like here we are. Lafayette has just said like, um, you know, we have to separate uh, ends from means here, blah blah blah. But yet. He's he's knocking agorism when it's much better than the than the status quo, like even yeah. by his own standards. So it really just doesn't make a lot of sense. <clears throat> I don't recall exactly. Uh, I mean, you probably know better than I do. Uh, Conkins, you said, is it entirely, uh, or is there a certain point at which it would be uh, some sort Re of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, force involved? I forget, uh, or or is or is it kind You're of talking about to, like uh, um, his 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 restitution or whatever. Cause I know they right, like, remember, stuff, but yeah. Remember well, the part in the book where he's like, um, if a takes from B, then insurance company C has the right to, to get money. He goes through this whole thing with variables. Yeah, you're right. And he explains the whole thing. Like how, like there's like, that's, that's like, there's, yeah. it goes so deep. We could do a whole book just on a restitution theory. Like, and maybe one day I will write something like that, yeah. but like, we don't punish for deterrence in Agoras. And that's one of the things that separates us from ANCAPs. ANCAPs believe in deterrence pun deterrence punishment. We don't. At least the, the bad ANCAPs do. The ones who've actually studied Rothbard don't. But um, deterrence punishment is is aggression, right? Yeah. You don't have the right to say, 
Okay, I Jose, like I took twenty bucks from you, Jose. It cost you five bucks to pay somebody to come get it back, and you lost two hours in the process. I owe you two twenty-seven bucks. You don't have the right to say, "Well, I'm going to take a hundred bucks from you just so you learn your lesson." So yeah. that's aggression. You don't have the right to do that, and that's part of restitution. Yeah, no, that's right. You're uh, you're right. Now that I think about it, it because I do vaguely remember it. Uh, the way Konkin has it set up is there isn't any force involved. If you decided, if you did steal some shit or something, and you just decide, no, I'm not going to return it or whatever and you know na 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 poo 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 uh you're it's just no one's going to do any engage with you at all in the market you're going to be a basically a blacklisted person you're, you're no insurance companies will cover you it's going to be a whole a whole hell of a life and that's uh, in a worst yeah. that's in an absolute worst yeah. case it's a very obscure scenario nine out of ten times with in a free market if there is an agreement there's a contract either verbal or written or something like that, that's going to be enforceable. So like very, very rarely will there be a situation like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's sort of like it, it would happen so few, so little of the time that it's sort of ridiculous. And like, yeah. let's say that, let's say it happens 3% of the time. That's a much smaller amount of injustice than we currently have in the state's court system. So yeah. again, you know, it's, it's sort of yeah. silly, especially coming from the guy who's just talking about how we have to prioritize the state's means from ends. Yeah, I just couldn't recall if there was any aspect of Konkin's uh, uh, legal framework that called for force if, you know, say someone stole some shit from you and they wouldn't give it back or something. And, and um, actually, ju just Jeremy just chimed in here in the chat who made a good point. He says, like, in the future, there's going to be a whole diverse array of legal frameworks that people can choose from. And, like, if yeah. you don't like it, you can go to a different one. That's the whole point. Yeah. Now the fundamental nucleus around which the notion of rights orbits is that the concept must universally apply or be meaningless. If the concept of rights is to be delimited, applying only those persons behave in a specified manner, then we have a concept of privilege and not a concept of rights. Uh, if we were to accept the notion of privilege as the core of our social structure, we are at once reverted to feudalism. Only those who behave as the Lord dictates have the right of living. Or have the privilege of living. The Lord has a divine right to eliminate others since they had no rights of their own in the first place. But Konkin wastes little time on such niceties. Rather, he makes it appear that the criminal has not only lost his rights, but that his victim has gained rights over him and thus the victim. And to a large degree becomes the owner and possessor of the criminal and may dispose of him according to the wishes of the victim, ameliorated perhaps by the pleas of a third party uh, insurer or other arbitrator. I don't, I don't get how he's coming to this unless he has some weird understanding of, I, I mean, it's just pure I, pacifism. This dude will like, but like, I don't even understand will, this from a pacifist perspective, because if Konkin is in no way saying force must be required in order to, I don't know, receive stolen goods or whatsoever, uh, that I don't really get how there's even a claim for it not being pacifist. Uh, I mean, well, we're not know. saying well, – well, Konkin never said that violence would, never, would not have to be employed. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if I robbed you and our agreement says uh, if I don't pay you by this date, you have the right to come capture me, yeah. then you have the right to come capture me, like, mm -hmm. that, coercively. You know what I mean? So it's like – it's not that um, – but again, like, you have to agree to all this. So we're not violating anyone's rights here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. And also, yeah, okay. you know, at the end of it, at the end of the Agoras Revolution, there is violence as well. Yes, that, means... that's true as well, yeah. This is the argument of the status. But having denounced the state in the most specific and conclusive terms, Konkin now embraces the state procedures as a major virtue. 
While it is wrong for the state to claim the life or property of anyone because no one is a property of the state, it is entirely acceptable for the victim to lay claim to restitution and restoration of the cost of the criminal. Indeed, Konkin describes restitution and restoration as a moral imperative. But that is what the state says. Then citing Rothbard and the Tannehills as pioneers in this area, Konkin Could offers... Just stop here yeah, real ahead, quick? Ahead, just, just, just to point out that... Um... Literally two pages ago, on like 118, 117, he's talking about how, again, we have to separate the means from the ends and not all laws should be violated and stuff like that. But now he's condemning anything that the state does as evil. So it's like you can't have it both ways here. Yeah. Sorry, I just had to point no, out good. that glaring hypocrisy. No, that makes sense. Although I think, to be fair to him, I think he's making the point that, like, okay, yeah, I, it almost sounds like he's trying to be like, hey, I'm playing by your logic is, is a good way to steal man it, maybe. Because he's saying, like, kind of like, you know, nudge, nudge, like what you're pushing for is kind of what the state pushes for, sort of, sort of. Uh, and, True. You know, and he's kind of made that point earlier that, like, the whole point of conk and, or the way he framed it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, just any, any breaking any laws immediately a moral act, uh, according to you, is kind of how he framed it although i i feel like that was a little bit of a silly way he put it all right then citing rothbard and the Tannehills as pioneers in this area conkin offers us a paragraph which i repeat here in its entirety so its character may can be judged first always leaving out those who choose not to participate one ensures oneself against aggression or theft one can even assign a value to one's life in case of murder or inadvertent manslaughter which may range from t the taking of the violence initiator's life to taking replaceable organs uh, to restore life to the payment of a to a foundation to continue one's life work. What is crucial here is that the victim assigns the value of his life, body, and property before the mishap. If I understand this proposal, the victim of a crime gains a property right, not only the, over the criminal's property, but depending on the nature of the crime, over the criminal's person and even the criminal's life. Yeah, uh, no, he doesn't understand the proposal properly because yeah. that's not the case. <clears throat> that's yeah, not the he, case at all. Yeah, because he's talking about how normal people would have insurances and they would have pre-set out things that they agreed upon, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Although that is well, a weird quandary. Like, is it technically because you should be able to rescind your con consent at any point? I mean, that is, a, to be fair, to his point. Like, I mean, just because you agree to something at one point, even contractually, that doesn't mean – you magically well, I don't, I, you know what I mean like I don't think it's what he's saying yeah okay I think like I think um like the question is what happens like in the case of murder in the Gorist society and Konkin's answer was well what's your life worth to you mm. right um you have to set that out in terms ahead of time right so like if I, my life is worth a million dollars so if you kill me you have to pay a million dollars to such and such people which by the way we have today it's called life insurance and mm. and beneficiaries we have the exact same system today but it's just much less detailed and um uh what lefave is going on about here is he's saying that <clears throat> when you uh, uh uh in other words in this in this proposal of conkin's proposal uh the criminal he, he becomes the the victim becomes the owner of the criminal's property well that depends on what you've taken from me, right? If you've, if you've robbed me of something, then that's not your property. That's my property. You, and my body is my property. So if my body is worth $1 million and you steal my body from me, then you're in debt by $1 million. It's not that hard of a uh, concept to wrap your head around here. 
But I don't know. These old guys, Rothbard and Lefebvre, had a hard time grasping it. Yeah, I mean, I guess the point he would be getting at is that that $1 million. I mean, it seems like he's missing the point that something you agreed to. Like, I guess theoretically in Konkin's, uh, you know, framework, you wouldn't <clears> actually <throat> have to do it. It's just there's going to be consequences and you probably are going to have a little bit of a rough life if you don't if you don't fall through with your ends of deals, you know. So I mean, the, the, he's, he says he says, if I understand this proposal, the victim, the victim of a crime gains a property right. It's the exact opposite. The victim is at a loss, and we're trying to restore him to his original state. That's the whole point of restoration theory. Further, and based upon what has gone before as well as upon the quotation used, is morally mandatory that the victim get back more than was taken from him. Uh, it is this margin that is viewed as a deterrent against future crime. Uh, I don't feel like he ever called for deterrence. So no. I don't know what he's talking about. So I, mean, I think he maybe missed the point. Um, I feel like at one point he le- like went straight into how he deterrent wasn't a factor to be played in. Um, okay. Um, trying to see if there's something in that thing that said anything about. No, there was nothing in that little piece that said anything about deterrence. No, and 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 Lefebvre says based upon what has gone on before. Okay. It is morally mandatory. It's not morally mandatory. In fact, it's 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 the exact opposite of morally. That's the whole point of restoration theory. Like. Again, it's almost like when you said with Rothbard, like, did he even read this? It's all, almost like the same thing with Lefebvre. Did you even read what, what he said about restoration theory? Yeah. By the way, there's a great – it's not in this book, but there's a great piece out there, if you all are interested, called The Bread is Mine. Actually, I'm sorry. It's called The Bread is Mine 2. There's two articles by that title, the latter of which is The Bread is Mine 2, which Konkin deals with this <clears throat> in, in detail. The question in that article is how to deal with politicians in a post-revolutionary aborist society. And if you want a really great exposition of restoration theory, check out that article. It really does a great job of showing how you can deal with politicians in a, in a, who've committed all these terrible crimes in a way that's consistent with the non-aggression principle. Mm. Somehow at this juncture, I wish that Konkin was less familiar with science fiction. I'm swept. <laughs> that's true. Me too. <laughs> I am swept back to my boyhood days and the wonderful stories of Edgar Rice Burroughs, most particularly his classic Ma- The Mastermind of Mars, Ross Thavas and his protagonist Vad Varro. Um, his best one ever. If you guys are interested in a Burroughs book, check out the original Tarzan. Definitely uh, worth reading. Mastermind of Do you read Mastermind of Mars? I re- Is that one of the John Carter books? I think that might be one of the John Carter books, but whatever. Uh, These are all sci-fi books that Burroughs did after Tarzan. Yeah, well, I know uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs is most known for Tarzan, but the second thing he's most known for is John Carter, which is a series of books. And, I, that's, and, my, and it was something that took took John <clears throat> Carter of Mars, and uh, there was a whole bunch of different series. So that might have been – I can't remember all the names of all the different books. So that might have been one of the uh, – the names totally sounds like something from John Carter. I read a bunch of them. I think I may have read all of them. I don't remember. Uh, but anyways, the manifesto has invited us to travel in time – in an effort to recognize the magnificence of a truly libertarian society, I have found it astonishingly easy to comply. By the arguments given, I am not only reverting to my to my teens and the warlord of Mars, I am swept back to Babylon, an oriental despot named Hammurabi. What the manifesto was calling a libertarian society was existing at that time, some 3,800 years ago. There were no, no police. They were invented in the 19th century by Sir Robert Peel in Britain. This is uh, such a straw. Another straw man, just like Rothbard, straw man the shit out of this. It's the same thing here. Yeah. Hammurabi, as it turned out, had a kind of restitution restoration agency. 
Historians have generally agreed that it could be no, termed, he didn't. <laughs> that it could be termed the principle of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You get well, how that's different than, than restitution, though, right? Like if if you pop my eye out and I pop your eye out, I'm no better off. I haven't yeah. been restored to my original state. It's just that we're both fucked now. Yes. Uh, while the manifesto invites us to travel both uh, backward and forward in time, the result that I see takes us backward to Babylon, and there we are beach. We will no, not only have an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, we'll have liver for liver, spleen for spleen, kidney, heart, or gallbladder for its counterpart. I mean, no, he's just uh, he's, yeah. so he's he's taking a dig at one of the things that Conkin said was that if um you know if if I stabbed you and you needed a kidney or a liver or a heart, you have the right to take it from me, which I I have no problem with. I think that he's right, but he's is just sort of like a, a play at at the the grotesque nature of it all. But it doesn't doesn't just doesn't detract from the fact that it's still a just and right theory. Whether or not you it's gory or you like the details or not, it's still accurate. Unless I am grossly incapable of understanding the words employed, I see here a chamber of I think you are uh, misunderstanding. <laughs> but uh, I, I see here a chamber of horrors so brutal and heinous that by comparison, Torquemada's rack and thumbscrew become a taffy pull of manicure. This is just silly. Um, but let me set the sadism aside for a moment and consider the consequences of such a system. Given this concept of Zamotas vivendi, millions of people will wish to become victims. Crimes can be staged which haven't occurred, incriminating evidence can be planted. Indeed, I can envision schools conducted by various fagans, fagans, I don't know what the hell that is, engaged in encouraging the perpetration of pseudo-aggression. This is stupid. <coughs> Jussie Smollett. Jussie yeah. Smollett. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, no, the whole purpose of this is like the whole purpose of Conkin's thing is that you get back. If anything, it really like even under Conkin's uh, legal, like roughly his legal system, although to some extent he does kind of I think he does kind of concede that like kind of like uh, Jeremy said earlier, the idea that it'd be a bunch of different options kind of deal. But he, even he kind of gets that um, that it would be if, if anything, it'd almost be still be an annoying and an annoying situation to be a victim because at best you're just going to break even and you're still going to like, it's still, it's still not desirable. Like if someone breaks into my house, steals $3,000 and I have to spend four months to get the $3,000 back. And all I get is a $3,000. And maybe you could say, Oh, adjusted for inflation or whatever, or maybe even a hundred bucks for the time. Uh, if you take into account how that money could be invested or whatever, you can go super artistic with it. It's even like you're just getting more mathematically. You're just trying to get more of an approximate like idea of what would make me even. And it's still like, okay, this is pretty fucking annoying. That's, I'll just that's be the key. <laughs> that's the key. Exactly. And that's the part that Lefebvre doesn't get. Like it's called restoration theory because the victim is restored to his initial state. That's it. Like that's the end of it. It's no more or no less. It's like really – um, like you said earlier, he's just misunderstanding all of this. Yeah, like, 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 even under this system, like, it, it's still the idea is to kind of find a happy medium to the best degree possible, to where like you're not fucking over the victims and you're not fucking over the uh, you're not fucking over the uh, perpetrators as well too much either. It's supposed to be literally get back to the to the station that you guys were prior to the aggression, and so really it should be an annoying. Thing for the victim just as much as probably i mean i guess it's going to be kind of also somewhat annoying for the victim as well like it's just going to be 
we're going to hopefully get back to where we were before. It's so it's not like this is going to be a fun thing. <laughs> not only that, but like, like think about the, the besides for paying your victim back in a free society, like you're, no one's going to want to do business with you. You're going to be completely ostracized. And that's like, again, that's a whole nother, we can do a whole 30 minutes just on restitution theory. We can do more. We can do the whole day on restitution theory. So I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole, but like Walter Block talks about it. You can have like lists and roles for like, bad people you can just publish them jose's newspaper of like shitty people and like i can pay like put people like it, it just goes on and on and on like the fave is sort of thinking in this um within the box of like the, the the status quo which is sort of like blinding him to the possibilities of the market yeah possibilities are endless what a marvelous way of bringing an enemy to ruin. Accuse him of having imposed an injury upon you. Take care that you purchase a few witnesses and plant a bit of evidence and you have a profitable business. Indeed, like the criminal class in Egypt, you can permit yourself to be maimed and made grotesque. It ensures generous uh, alms and a good living. I really wish, I mean, I really hope this isn't going to go too much longer because it is really just like he's belaboring a point that he's already made that he's completely wrong about. But right. Uh, all right. Um, and he's bringing nothing to do it. We're now back to Shakespeare and the Merchant of Venice. After all, the, the request of Shylock was the fulfillment of his bond, and this would be warranted in what the Manifesto calls a libertarian system. In this strange system, Antonio will die under the knife and the bloodshed, although though not mentioned in the, the bond, will constitute profit to the victim that marginal deterrent. To, to offset this, the manifesto and supporters will have to write a series of elaborate laws to identify, define, and specify a pretended crime as a crime in itself. Excluding semantics, what makes such a procedure different than that of every state in existence? Ugh. All right. Does, does Lefebvre not believe in any sort of, you know libertarian legal system like I, I don't understand what he does i just think he's I, I again it's almost like did he even read it yeah i don't it's like because it's almost like he's like oh you guys have these systems set in place that's kind of like the state like okay <laughs> he he does jeff he really does love these literary references like yeah. it, and they're so like dated and like these rare shakespearean shit that like you, you know you would need to go back to like college english to understand yeah. But again, this is going back to my point before about like these dudes are, are smart people. And the fact that this is the best they can come up with only points to the strength of agorism. Yeah. If such a procedure is not followed, then we will have each insurance company engaged in filling each contract with fine print as to what is and what is not a crime as set forth by directors of that company. I see small merit in competition towards brutality. The, the only crimes are property crimes. And that's basic libertarianism that Lefebvre knows this shit. So yeah. Indeed, this has been the bane of nearly every, every effort made by alleged anarchists of whom I have knowledge. They decry the state, they vilify the state, they excoriate that it will be abolished. In place of it, they will tell us we will have a system in which we precisely the same remedies are sought by process. We conclude the use of violent and the violation of men's minds, bodies, and property. But we won't call it a state. We, we, it will be an insurance company or a protection company or restoration, restitution, retaliation, rack out. Although to be like, I mean, the idea of these insurance companies, these are things you agree. These are terms you agreed to prior to. So it's the idea of this like social contract, but where you actually fucking signed it. So like, I know, like that's the whole thing. Yeah, like you like, voluntarily consent to this shit, like as opposed to now when it's all done coercively. So, I mean, it just doesn't. 
it, it's these are all silly. There's it's a combination of straw man and ad hom, really. Yeah, which I, I do think he just missed it. Although it could be like I was kind of alluding to earlier, it could just be the the uh, nuances of contract theory. Because I mean, if you were to apply a social contract theory, the it means certain people who believe in certain ideas of contract theory would think you could drop out at any time because you just rescind your consent you'd be like i no longer consent to this although some people be like well you conceded to this you have to follow these rules at the end um you know so i i don't know but uh, i guess well, that's although, what i mean about like yeah, the whole like bernard de la paz thing is like that whole example the moon is a harsh mistress conkin is getting this from lefave like he all this is coming from, like he's lefave is conkin's teacher through all of this so he's getting all this from lefave which is makes it even more ridiculous that Lefebvre can't see the value in all of it, especially as a pacifist. Like this is the agorism is the only outcrop of libertarianism that doesn't include uh, the initiation of violence. Um, yeah. All forms of voting and political participation do. Uh, the pacifism that Lefebvre advocates is ineffective and it doesn't get anybody anywhere. So I mean, it's just crazy to me that he doesn't see the value in all of this. Yeah. I mean, really, like, oh, okay, I guess that was, doesn't apply. I was, I was about to say that even the agorism, in a sense, can be pacifist. I guess it kind of can, but, I mean, there are it aspects is. of it. It is. It's related. Yeah, I mean, there are aspects of it, though, if you're to the fully encompassing uh, agorism. Like, yeah, you are at one point. There will be violence, you know, in the so-called agorist revolution or whatever, like. But I mean, even I then, know. even that isn't necessarily violence because it's, it's done in retaliation. So it's done in self-defense. Although, like even, that, though, isn't the difference between pacifists though? Most pacifists don't even won't even agree to it in self-defense. Oh yeah, yeah, right. So, they won't even do it in self-defense, right? Yeah, like yeah. if you like slap them across the face, they're like, "Oh, hit me again!" Like they they won't yeah. even do that. But in in my mind, there's no violence in agorism. Like yeah. like it's as close to pacifism as you're going to get, which I think is is consistent with the non-aggression principle. Even yeah. in the case that we just discussed extensively, like in the case of a terrible criminal. We don't commit violence on you. We only get back. We only undo, undo the violence which you did. We don't do new violence to you. That's one of the, the mistakes that Lefebvre makes. I am told, or last is still more, I am told only at this point when the matter has been fully contested, investigated, and judged, and still be the aggressor refuses to relinquish the stolen property would violence occur. Okay, this is what I was getting at earlier. Uh, he is quoting that Conkin did at one point say something that like if he refuses, other refuses, they have stolen property that violence could occur. That was what I was getting at earlier. Uh, whereas uh, I think I think some uh, frameworks of like an anarchist society, they just be like, well, you're just basically gonna be blacklisted from society. They still in that situation would not, uh, you know, say you could use violence because. I mean, it's a little bit different when you're in the heat of it. Like, obviously, if someone's stealing something from you in the moment and you beat them up, kill them, whatever, it's a little bit different story because you are in a you're literally in the act of having your shit stolen. Uh, but it's a little bit different. What's after effect? I, mean, I have no problem with this, but I, I can understand where some people, especially a pacifist, would come having an issue with that. So you're talking about you're, you're talking about the reclamation of property while a crime is being committed. No, no, no. Here he's saying only at this point when the matter has been fully contested, investigated, and judged, and still be the aggressor refuses to relinquish the stolen property, would violence occur? And I'm saying this is okay. Here, from the perspective of Lafair, he has a point because he is a pacifist. So that he, it would make sense that he would not be okay with this. I'm okay with this. 
this is where we differ in perspective. But my point was like from a like many people would say like many anarchists, even not pacifists, would may have issues with this because they may make the case that in the act of it, it's a little bit different. Like if someone's, you know, in the, in the act of assaulting you or is taking your property and you defend accordingly, that's a different story than if like, say a month later you go to their house and fucking, you know, put a bullet, put a gun to their head and be like, give me my right. fucking shit. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> so like, fair it, enough. It, there's a very different things. Um, you know, and, and in some societies they would not call for even non-pacifists. I wouldn't give a shit. I think, I'm of the anarchist uh, persuasion. That's like, you know, it's like, that's your shit. <laughs> Konkin, Konkin said it best in the beginning of this one or Agoras Primer. He, he writes, property rights are best enforced locally and immediately. Yep. Yeah, this is why I don't have an issue with vigilante justice. But I also think vigilante justice, when you're wrong, it should be... Uh, punished. Fucking, yeah, punished. Like, if yeah. you're like, hey, some, you know... That's uh, violence. Yeah, like... So, like, if someone, say someone fucking, I don't know, I, I, whatever, I'm not going to try to, but people get the idea. If it's a, it's a vigilante justice and come to find out you were reacted, you know, disproportionately or you did it to the wrong person, then, yeah, you should be punished. And that, but, that's why Konkin employs the insurance agencies, because you agree to this shit ahead of time. So there's, yeah. you can't, you can't say, Hey, 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 I didn't agree to these rules. Yes, you did. We got the contract right here, Jose. You said you won't yeah. do this X, Y, and Z and you did it, you know? Yeah. Which, once again, I, I do think some people have different ideas on the, uh, the aspect of contract theory. I don't normally get that autistic with it, but all right. If we take a look at um, – this is me just trying to find – come to terms with where the hell affair is coming from. <laughs> a lot of these grasping straws I have here. Um, if we take a look at the real world, we will discover that if B, the aggressor, doesn't wish to be a contestant and refuses to be investigated, coercion may be employed long before judgment is rendered. If B will not permit entry into his room where the victim alleges he has seen his stolen property, then to verify the allegation, force must be used to win B's compliance. Uh, and what if, in fact, B is guilty of nothing except that he looks like the aggressor or that was allegedly stolen, had a duplicate which B has honestly acquired? Then we find an innocent person seeking to maintain his privacy and go about his business peacefully victimized by investig investigative Company merely wishing to please the wishes of A, who in fact may not even have experienced an act of theft, but wishes to destroy the credibility of B. The true nature of B, or go ahead. Read so, so, so like um, that wouldn't happen, of course, because yeah. like, again, this would all be done by insurance companies. So there might be a clause in your contract where um, if someone makes a claim against you, uh, you know, we'll send an agent out to your house to investigate and, uh, you know, if you agree to this, your rate is going to be X. If you don't agree to this, your rate is going to be much higher or we won't we won't cover you at all or something like that. So, like, again, these are things that can be um, worked out in a voluntary contractual manner. And like this is what per violin refers to as the unrealized, the unseen, the unrealized. It's like you don't know what sort of creative solutions entrepreneurs will come up with if you don't let them uh, like work at the market uh who the hell was it? i'm drawing a blank now uh the fucking economist who called it creative destruction i can't even think now i'm just drawing a, a blank Murphy, but like no no nah, nah, it was an old dude old dude but like he said that like entrepreneurship is just like the act of creative destruction it's like we're taking these like systems and destroying them and creating something new and better and like that's exactly what would happen in a free market and in, in these legal uh, in, the, in, the, in the market for, for arbitration. Yeah. 
The true nature of B cannot be determined prior to investigation, in a contest and a judgment, but these things cannot be obtained without coercion if B is unwilling. The guilty conceivably would always be unwilling, unwilling but many of many who are innocent and would like, uh, likewise be unwilling, or would or will willingness or willingness be law? I mean, although no, this is the guilty conceivably always been willing. That's not true. Uh, this is why you would incentivize them doing so. Um, you know, depending on the system, it, exactly. It you know, if they if this is like they have their own insurance company, they agreed to. It's like, I mean. And by the way, I think somebody even mentioned it earlier in the chat that. Um, but I second the idea of I don't even see here. But yeah, check out Bob Murphy's Chaos Theory if you want to learn more about this because he does a great, great job explaining how all this would work in, in detail. Yeah, I, uh, I actually think that might be one of the ones I do a live reading on in the future. Um, the suggestion is made that we can have prison camps for the recalcitrant, but not prisons, and, and that here and there we can always kill the person who has... Uh, no, we, so we can't have prison practice. camps, Bob Lefebvre. No, it, they're, they're, they're work-based restitution camps. <laughs> and, and, and the ANCAPs like to call them gulags. I don't, I'm fine with the term gulag. I don't care. You can call it what you want. But it's the only way to get criminals who don't have the means to pay their victims back. It's the only way to restore their victims to the original state. So it's not done uh, coercively. It's done voluntarily. Um, so, yeah, they're not prisons. There's no place for a prison in a free society. And the idea that we can kill a person who has himself can perform some act of killing is silly because there would be no restitution to be had there. And it, and, and it also, that wouldn't be a way of attaining the restitution even if you're trying to make the point of like oh you can use violence to get your restitution that's kind of the fairest point here i mean if you i mean sure maybe from the act of trying to get your restitution you accidentally kill him that's a different story well but you wouldn't purposely kill him that makes no fucking sense well on the contrary here if i wrote down in my lot in my insurance contract that my life is worth the life of of my assassin and you and your insurance your insurance contract agree uh, to be bound by, you know, if you commit murder, you'll be bound entirely to the will of your victim. And you murder me, and it says here, hey, my life is worth one Jose's life. And it says, hey, you agreed, Jose, right here. We got to take you out. Then it's fine. I don't have a problem. Everybody dies, and, and we're good. And that's sort of, I think, like, um, you know, Lefebvre, again, this is the pacifist in him that's sort of opposing all of this. But if you agree and I agree and everything is kosher, then there's there's no there's no issue here. Well, wouldn't the issue there then be then obviously the person would then rescind their consent to that contract and be like, well, I don't because that, that, I know that's one thing. I think it's Walter Block, I believe. I, or maybe it may have been him or someone else. I heard them talking about contract theory because a lot of people do think it's like this binding thing. And it's more of a way to I, mean, I forget how it's explained. It gets really weird. Uh, I think Kinsella tried to explain it to me once. Uh, but yeah, it is. They are. There are way you can't. You're supposed to be able to withdraw <clears throat> consent from contracts usually there's some sort of uh there's like that's why a lot of uh, contracts have things like collateral and such because it's the idea that you're supposed to be able to drop out that there's that there that's not consistent with like a natural law or libertarian theory to have some magical thing that just binds you this is just something that kind of incentivizes you to do so so yeah but not after the fact Right, like if I agree to pay you five dollars for a bag of apples, and you give me the bag of apples, and I don't give you five bucks, I, I, I'm, I have to uphold my end. I have to uphold my end of, of yeah. the contract. 
if I before you give me the apples, if I say, hey, 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 I, I, I changed my mind. I don't want to do this contract anymore. I rip it up. And the contract is void at that point. But yeah. if, if we have the contract and you fulfill your obligations, I'm obligated to, to fulfill my end of the, the, the agreement. Yeah. All right. Uh, the suggestion is made that we can have prison camps for the recalcitrant. Oh, no, I already said that. Isn't this a clear case of asking the ends to justify the means? It appears so, at which point we have waved goodbye to consistency. I find it difficult to, difficult to come up with a dollar scale by means of which to set a price on life, consent to intimacy, and non-kidnapping. I mean, well, that's then that's I guess your issue, uh, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I could make up a number, probably. Uh, yeah. indeed, indeed, and for reasons Konkin has set forth, I find it difficult, if not impossible, to come up with a dollar value, even for stolen property. A single dollar is a different value to different people, depending on their relative scales of value for dollars, goods, and services. Thus, as Konkin correctly shows, value judgments enter in, and restitution and and restore restoration must be arbitrarily imposed as a deterrent. Um, I mean, I, I feel like it's just twisting words. So his point being that because you get to set the value in your terms, that it somehow is essentially baking in a deterrent. I mean, I guess yeah, he's saying of, like, but, like, but like, you're going like, to, you're probably gonna have to pay for these insurance contracts. So $1 to you might be different than $1 to me. Maybe I need it really bad and you're well off. So it's like, is, is, the, is the restitution the same? But yeah, it is the same, LaFave. Like if I steal one Bitcoin from Jose, then Jose's at one Bitcoin and I'm up one Bitcoin. There's no like um, subjective valuation doesn't come into play there, right? It's just yeah. I've taken X and you're out X and to restore you to your original state, I have to provide X. Yeah, well, I think his point is he's applying the the through line of logic of because of things like a life, you could just set the value that you'd be able to set the value of, I don't know, a lamp, I don't know, in your house or some shit because you're like right. that lamp has you know subjective value. It's you know, or say they steal it and then it somehow gets lost in the market or they break it or whatever, what have you. I think that's the point he's getting at, but I mean, it's still kind of silly because I right. these, and, and these are insurance policies you would have to pay for. So the idea that, and if anything, you're incentivized against deterrence because you're going to have to pay a larger premium at that point. So, like, what would be the point of doing so? You know. But like he's saying here, he's like, um, I find it difficult to come up with a dollar value even for stolen property. A single dollar has a different value to different people. So, like, let's say Jose, I steal your lamp, yeah. and that lamp was given to you by your great, great grand uncle, who's like, you know, it has all the sentimental value to it. You factor that in, right? You yeah. factor that in when it comes time for restoration. It's like, that's I have a $5 lamp, that, that's, that's me, my, it's worth like yeah. $500. And that's my point. That's what LaFair's point is here. I disagree with this point because I, I get what he's getting at when it comes to subjective valuation. Obviously, if someone still has the lamp and you're able to get the lamp back, that's clean. That's easy. You're like, you know, one for one. But now it's it's something when it is like say they lost it or broke it or or I mean there's there's other things a life something that you know like but what I'm saying though is that that's taken into consideration like when it, when it comes time when when it comes time for me to to restore you to your original state that some that sentimental value that the lamp has is taken into consideration so now I don't just owe you twenty bucks for a new lamp yeah. well fifty bucks with with Biden's inflation I owe you fifty bucks for the lamp and then. You know, yeah. however much well, your grandpa's, the fact that your grandpa owned it was worth to you on top of it. And that's my point. What LaFair is saying here with things like subjective things like that, that 
yes, you would do that, but the problem is that theoretically people could bake in deterrence by inflating it is how I read this by like being like, Oh, well this, this uh, lamp from my grandpa is only worth 50 bucks really in my head, but I'm going to do 50 or a hundred that way it's a deterrent. But then my point was you're going to be incentivized uh, against like over inflating the value of your objects because then you're probably going to have a more pricey insurance premium. Oh, Uh, I see what you're saying. Right, right, right. that, That sounds to me what the fair is saying. Although it is like he has a, a little bit of a point, but it's like well, he, you would be incentivized against doing so. Right? I mean, exactly. You, know, you would be in, yeah. not, only, not only that, but your insurance company would charge you more. Yeah. If I said, exactly. if I said, hey, your, my stuff is worth twenty bucks, is what you have to insure it for. It might not be a lot, but if I said, hey, that lamp comes from my great great grandpa who fought in the Civil War, it's worth like a bazillion dollars to me. Guess what? The cost that I have to pay to insure it has just risen dramatically. So I can do that, but I'm going to pay out of pocket. To, yeah. to, to play that game exactly that was the point again so LaFerre has a little bit of a point but then it's like a, you're no the, the idea that like oh your people are going to you know just impose deterrence because he's really pushing this deterrent idea but it's like well i mean sure theoretically yeah there could be some asshole out here that really wants to pay an extra dollar to really fuck over his victim but i mean whatever he's going to pay for it like i mean right well and it's like okay well this guy's just kind of an idiot uh, okay like i don't know what to tell you like Yes, it's not a perfect system. There could be some random person out there who just really, really wants to pay more to apply some subjective extra value to something to apply a deterrent. Like, but but you know what though? <laughs> at that point, at that point though, it's worth it to him. At that yeah. point, it's no longer. Um, yeah, I guess it's true. Yeah, you know, it's no longer arbitrary. He's actually he's actually paying for it, so that must be what it's worth to him. Yeah, I guess it's true. I mean, although the, the point of therapy is like it's worth that much for him to, to apply deterrent because he would call that a deterrent. But right. True. I mean, I, which, that's his whole point is that the idea of the deterrent deterrence is wrong. But you get to a certain point where you're like, dude, we're just kind of you're playing a little bit of semantics here and you're kind of right. I, I, I don't know. I mean, sure. OK, theoretically, some dickhead somewhere could really be that set on fucking over the person who fucked him over. But OK, whatever. Um, but the market will incentivize against it. Uh, this insistence of establishing property rights over the perpetrator of a crime appears to overlook the fact that on occasion a crime may be committed because of dire financial conditions. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but go on. Uh, such conditions will always manifest in any world of limited resources and imperfect human beings. I take back. I do care. But at the same time, it's like, uh, well, it's still my property, so that sucks. I mean, I may be willing to let it go, which I guarantee you Konkin would you know, have no problem with that. But all right. While the old left attempted to make it appear that all crime arose from property, the fact remains that some crimes have always poverty. been poverty. Uh, what did I say? Poverty, poverty. You said property. Oh, po- poverty. My bad. Uh, but some crimes have always been caused by privation. Um, if a person is starving, it will very possibly steal, even if he has to inflict p- physical injury on an innocent bystander in process. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I do not condone theft because of this fact. Any act of theft is a wrongful act, regardless of motivation. But I see nothing within the manifesto would take such a possibility into consideration. The criminal is a criminal. The victim is a victim. A rose is a rose is a rose. Uh, I don't know what he's even asking. I mean, I guess he's about to expand expound on that. But I mean, I don't really know. He's kind of making the point that if it's wrong, it's wrong. You know, it still took someone's property. The end. Um, Concord has been generous and gracious in the manifesto concerning my own position for which I thank him. Further, he is at least partly correct in stating 
Lefaire's pacifism also dilutes the attraction of his libertarian anti- uh, tactics pos- probably far more than deserved. That my position tends to turn away many is confirmed. That I deserve better is a moot point. But I have never taken a position uh, with a view to make it popular. Every statement I have made, I have tried to make consistent with truth and with the fundamental definition of human liberty. I have not called for a following. I have found my own way and would not deprive a single person of the joy he can experience by finding his. Conkin is correct when he observes in the same footnote that he, Lafair, holds back from describing complete strategy resulting from these personal tactics, partially due to a fear of being charged with prescribing as well as describing. The strategy which I have repeatedly set forth does not and will not appear to be a strategy for those who insist on group action. They can conceive of no strategy deserving of the name until people are somehow welded into a group. The strategy I've offered goes hand-in-hand with the tactics I also recommend. It's the same one-on-one procedure which assists each individual in removing himself without violence from the cloying, clutching tentacles of all states. While admittedly it cannot be done either instantly or perfectly, it can be achieved by those who wish to achieve it. I make no apology for their imperfections. Agric enterprises aren't perfect either, and neither will be, and never will be. Humanity does not produce perfect specimens. Finally, I come to what I view as a second inconsistency in the manifesto. Encouraged by the author's inf- invitation, let me point to it. In passing through the various phases which Conkin's imagination has portrayed, we come at last to transition between phase three and four. Conkin sees this period as inevitably violent and total betrayal of the very principles he claims to espouse. All right, this makes sense. We would get to here. Um, revolution is as inevitable as any human action can be, is Conkin's footnote assertion. So in the end, regardless of peaceful means, we must throw out the agoric principles of self-fulfillment and kill the status <laughs> as the only way to free society. No, he didn't say that. Um, That's not what we're saying at all. In yeah, fact, he no. never said anything like this whatsoever. In fact, the whole previous discussion we just had about restoration theory sort of undermines everything that Lefebvre is saying right now. Yeah, I mean, no, it seems every bit of, every one of, uh, it seems so far, I've been trying my best to try to bend over backwards logically to figure out ways to understand where he's coming from, but it seems every point he's brought up so far has is like has some main point to it that is like completely off. Like, just And the same was true of, of Rothbard's critiques yeah. too, remember? It's like... yeah. Well, Rothbard's were some of them were off, but there were some that were on, but I just disagree with. You know, like, like he was like, especially some of the stuff like the LP and stuff. But there was definitely a lot of that with Conkin. But so far with Lafayre, literally every single one I've seen so far, it was like, well, that's because he didn't say that. <laughs> so, uh, but okay. Um, maybe there's more, uh, something more here be, to some extent, because he is a pacifist. So it makes sense he would have issues here. Um, Conkin acknowledges that there are arguments against this view. Personally, I believe it is Konkin's philosophic origin in left-to-center areas which caused him to cling to this position. The primary reasons I should like to offer, which in my view significantly alter the inevitability he sees, relate to the method he uses of advancing agoric causes and the nature of capitalism in all forms, including the agoric. I mean, to be fair, Lefaire, I could totally see an agorist revolution playing out where there isn't some, you know, especially violent, you know, you know, uh, phase, but I do think it's probably likely, but, it, and if it does happen, I don't think it's necessarily wrong either. So, um, and by violent, I mean, defensive violence. So, but I mean, anyways. it happens, they happen in India and Romania. Um, yeah. and there's all, there, there's always a couple people who, uh, I always get a couple, but <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a lot less than, than, in you know, state revolutions. 
Yeah, I mean, theoretically, if the, the market slowly overtakes everything, there doesn't necessarily have to be a point at which it does. I mean, right. you really, you True. could just be a cancer that just overtakes the state, essentially. You know, like, kind of have like an anti-cancer, you know? <laughs> so, uh, right. Well, theoretically, you don't need to. Although at a certain point, it would be just like, if anything, it would almost be kind of fucked up in an agorist society to be like, well, we have all these people that are still in their 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 cells or whatever, and we have the means to go, you know, re- you know, restore them to justice and get them out, you know. Uh, and that's kind of a little bit what Conkin's mostly talking about. I don't think he's really ever in any way pushing for a, you know, go fucking go get them. Like he's more just like, you know, do what you got to do to, you know, create restitution. The trouble is that they're not going to hand over power um, yeah. voluntarily. Not they're not going to the polit- the political class, the red marketeers are not going to just willingly hand over their monopoly on violence. Like it's it's just not going to happen. Well, yeah, I mean the the idea being if it overtook it enough, it would just get to the point where it would just kind of slowly wane out. Right. You know? so, exactly. I mean, and they would become so weak that they had no choice. Yeah, and they would probably just at some point just walk away because it's like right. It's, well, it's nothing hopefully here. some of them yeah. would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by employing the one-on-one educational method, the gradual resurgence of free enterprise will advance only as rapidly as our ability to educate makes it possible. Thus, free market principles are never imposed. They are learned and proven to those who learn and practice. An uninhibited marketplace is far more profitable and comfortable than an inhibited marketplace. The assertion that status will adhere to statism neglects the reality of a major characteristic of all status. They, too, seek profit. They seek applause, recognition, and comfort. As the agoric principles unfold and enlarge by the adding of dedicated practitioners, moving in that direction becomes expedient. All statists are given to expedience and seek the high ground. There will be natural tendency of the most ambitious and most capable statists to move in that direction. I, okay. I mean, I don't know if he's building to a point here. Great. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> That's it, what it, we're trying for here. I remember when I was in a, in back in the active military, there was a, they taught us uh, process how processes change. At one point, there was a whole class we went to. I forget it was this like a, it was like the learning how to deal with processes and like you know, uh, and they they go talk about there are people who are trendsetters and essentially in a certain way what agorism is pushing for is you know becoming the trendsetters, becoming the entrepreneurs, becoming the 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 tip of the spear, if you will, you know, for the market, the people that are ahead of everything, you know, pushing things. And yes, the status will eventually they'll be like the shaft, the ones who come behind the ones who don't really get as good of a deal, but you know, eventually they, they kind of fall in line as well. And by status, I'm, I'm more, I don't even necessarily mean status. I just more mean normal people. Like they will just kind of over time fall in line. Cause at the end of the day, most people are just generally kind of centrist and just kind of go wherever, you know, the people go and they just kind of fall in line. So exactly. I mean, most people aren't <laughs> even political. Most people just, yeah. just go by the, the, the dictates of the market. So, I mean, I don't know if he's getting to a point to be like, that's bad or something, but it's like, no, it's not. That's what we want. Like we, we would, I, I like, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, ideally it would be cool if we had a world for a full of libertarians or agorists, but really what I, I would rather have like, you know, five to 20%. Cause I just think at that point, just everyone just kind of falls in line and just, and just like, yeah, they may not be an agorist per se, you know, in their head or a libertarian, but they just kind of behave that way. <laughs> I, I, honestly, like that's exactly what, what this would be if we had like, all statists who sort of move into the market, they move out of the political arena into the market arena. That's all we're asking for. Yeah. See, agorism, one of the easiest ways to understand what agorism is, is just that it's simply the absence of politics. 
Yeah. Right. Imagine a world where there's just no politics. That's agorism. That's that is the agora. That's all that because what's left is just economics, and that's literally the agora. I think I know the point he's getting in a little bit. He, I mean, he has a little bit of a point, but it doesn't really apply to agorism. But to be successful in any kind of free market, ag- agoric or conventional, capital investments must be made. No one with capital invested can afford the risk of capital destruction, divestiture, and tail them war. In this context, take notes. All wars are state-inspired, but they are invariably directed against another state, not against the politicians of the local state. Politicians don't wage war. They make war by encouraging conflict, which keeps them out of harm's way. Part of the politician's capital is the sanction he's obtained from his own countrymen. In part, consists of his pose of superintelligence, which must be protected by the sacrifice of others. He will risk more by violent conflict than by moving the direction of free enterprise. Uh, I'm delighted to see... Well, I guess he wasn't really making a point. I thought maybe he might have been building towards the point of, like kind of like modern day how you see a lot of corporations and stuff are kind of like sort of doing that you know it's like a lot of public private partnerships i thought maybe that's what he was building towards it's like okay but we don't really we don't like that <laughs> like and we're yeah. kind of busting we're busting that up as well by being we want politicians to like move away from violent conflict into the direction of free enterprise that's exactly what we're trying to do here yeah uh, all right. I am delighted to see the Konkin Manifesto and can applaud it in general for its position, respecting consistency, objective, and method. My objections, if understood, may heighten its impact. I believe it will have and deserves to have a compelling influence upon members of the old left. Here, its syntax and its sometimes purple passages may well be pivotal in any number of instances. I wish it and its author well. All right. And that's the end of that. Uh, we'll do the reply next. I feel like that one we can knock out an episode as well. It's like 10 pages, but it should be a short episode actually. And then we may even be able to knock the last, the filthy Pierre out in like one episode altogether. I don't know. Let me see. Yeah. It's fucking, it's seven pages for the, uh, yeah. So we may have like, I think we only have like two episodes left on this one. So, but like, just notice how, like, again, <clears throat> not to sound like a broken record. These are like really smart individuals. Two of yeah. like the greatest libertarian theorists that have ever lived like easily top five in anybody's book. And this is the best they can come up with. It's just a series of ad hom and straw mans and uh, uh, just all the arguments are fallacious. All of that speaks to the strength of agorism and the, the consistency of the philosophy. If it wasn't so consistent, there would be holes in it. And these masters of logic, like Lefebvre and Rothbard would find them. They would pinpoint them and they would call them out, but they can't because there aren't any. Yeah. Well, all right. Me, well, me, me too, Jeff. I'm looking forward to hearing the response to that as well. I think he's going to probably say a lot of the same shit that you and I said, Jose. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. With that, if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, we can get out of here. Um, AgoraThreads.com, Libertarian Anarchist, Agorist Apparel, 3D Printer Go Burr.com, 3 Printers and 3D Printing Supplies, you pay with cryptocurrency to avoid accessing KYC payment platforms. The book is Anti-Politics. Check it out on Amazon, or you can get it directly from me by shooting me a DM on social media. Um, if you have read it, drop me a review. Um, it helps a lot on Amazon. Also, by the way, drop uh, a like on this video and give Jose a, a subscribe. And other than that, follow me on social media and come back for the next one. All right. Appreciate it. With that, this is No Way Jose Show. You can find me on YouTube, all the major odd packages, Odyssey as well. Follow me at Twitter at 2020 No Way Jose. Thanks for showing up, everyone, all the regulars. I see you, you, Just Jeremy, one of my sponsors, Junkie Jeff. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, patreon.com, Snowway Jose 2020. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff that we are out. Appreciate it, guys.